The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abuel Samet. Sam, your wheel's down long enough for us to do a podcast before you go wheels up once again. Yes, um, Hit, hitting the road again on Sunday, uh, heading out to San Francisco to uh, go for a ride in a, in a car that doesn't have a driver. So it should be a good time. Hopefully you come back. Yeah, so me too. I hope so too. <laughs> So in the meantime, be okay with this one. All right. We'll talk about it next week, though. Um, Well, so in the meantime, uh, you have been serving as a driver. And and what are you what are you driving? You driving a Zundap or like a a 73 Chevy Laguna with a a 305 that's got Rodnock or or Uh, what? No, not quite. Uh, Actually, (laughs) uh, no, I've been. You uh, like that. You like the Laguna, right? That's uh, that's pretty good. Uh, (laughs) No, actually, I I was uh, in the Volvo V60 R design, uh, which is a really, really nice car and, and proves that that um, all people should be driving station wagons, not SUVs. Uh, I mean, I, I was rapturous about a station wagon last week, so now it's your turn. But uh, it's, it's kind of a small wagon. It is. But you know what? Most of the a, a lot of the SUVs, yeah, I would say most of the SUVs that people are driving, you know, the compact SUVs are really about the same size as this thing. You know, I mean, comp- the, the top selling utilities, you know, are things like the Toyota RAV4, the Honda CRV, Ford Escape, you know, and they're all, you know, pretty comparable in size to this thing. So, you know, I, I think that in terms of interior volume and cargo space and everything, you're not giving anything up by going with something like the V60 instead of um, instead of the um, one of those utilities. And, you know, frankly, it's a damn good looking car. Well, so it's just interesting how much we've shifted to where you say you're not giving anything up by going back to the, the wagon where in the past we've we would have said you're not giving up by anything up by going to the crossover. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I I would never have said that necessarily that you're not giving anything up by going to a utility, you know, because I think more often than not, you probably are giving something up. Um, but, it, you know, in this case, I mean, if your argument for going to a utility is to have more cargo space or more space for people um, or having all wheel drive, um, you got all of that in this one. You know, it's all there. Um, the the only thing it doesn't have is the high ride height, um, which, you know, frankly, when everybody's driving utilities doesn't make any difference anyway. So, yeah, this this is a much more fun car to drive, you know, than any of those utilities, um, you know, 
granted, you know, it's a little more expensive than certainly most of the mainstream ones. Uh, it's 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 not a not a cheap vehicle uh, at fifty four thousand dollars for the one I was driving. Um, that's not that's not that bad. No, I mean, you know, it's not like, you know, buying a Porsche Cayenne or something or or even a Macan. No, and and you do you get a very nice car for Oh, your absolutely. Money. You know, the the one I drove, the the R design, um has the uh Volvo's uh 2-liter four-cylinder uh that's both turbocharged and supercharged. Uh has I think uh, 302 horsepower uh and 295 foot-pounds of torque. Uh, eight-speed automatic transmission. It's unfortunate. You know, I'd like to have a manual, but you know, it's just the reality of, of modern life is you're not going to get one. Um, but even you know, and this one, as I said, the the the, the R design has um, all-wheel drive, uh, which uh, you know is, is going to be helpful in winter conditions. Um, and also, you know, given the the power it's got, you know, it means that there's no torque steer or anything like that because this is normally a front-wheel drive vehicle. Um, you know, and unfortunately, you know, this this particular generation of the the V60, you know, is reaching the end of its life cycle. You know, we've already seen Volvo this year launch the new XC60 off the um, uh, the scalable product architecture, you know, which they also use for the 90 series. And, you know, we'll probably be seeing the new S60 and V60 coming, you know, within the next six months or so, you know, between now and, and probably the Geneva show in March, you know, we'll probably see both the S60 and the V60. Um, you know, maybe we'll see one of them at the, uh, at the LA auto show next month. Um, or, you know, perhaps in, in Detroit or, or maybe at Geneva. Um, but you know, those, those are coming, and, and, you know, they will probably have um, the same powertrain in there because this is, you know, Volvo's new powertrain, you know, their, their post Ford powertrain that they're using pretty much across everything in, in various configurations. Um, so, you know, and it's a it's a fantastic engine. I mean, you know, you've driven it in the XC90 um, and well, you you had the V60 recently, too, didn't you? Um, a few months. What ago. did I have? Uh, an XC60. I had an XC90 and yeah. I don't, you know, I don't even remember now. I had some Volvo yeah. sometime, but you're, you're right. I have driven that, that powertrain in both T5 and, um, uh, the T6 trim. Yeah. And so this is the T6 with, with it, the- it's, it's not supposed to be that good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it's a, it is really good. It's a small four cylinder. It's got a turbocharger. It's got a supercharger on it. it makes, you know, 300 horsepower. It, and it's, it's great. It's, it's, um, linear. There's not really a whole lot of lag. It's, it's really impressive how it's been sort of, you know, wrestled to the ground and, and is, uh, really well behaved. Um, you know, and my, my issue with the, the V60 has never been, uh, its performance it's always been a good performer even you know back in the days of the the t6 meaning like six cylinder engine um i did i didn't even realize that car has been around not necessarily the the wagon version of it but the s60 that second generation s60 with based on the eucd platform Can't that car has been around yeah that's that's an that that's been around a long time and i didn't even realize it until uh, you sort of mentioned that it's going to be replaced, it, you know, because you think about the the wagon's not all that 
old here on the market for us. Yeah, um, the, the wagon came out in Europe in 2011, but it didn't launch in the U.S. until 2014 uh, right. when they got the new powertrain. Because when it launched, it had had an older um, and Ford-based engine in it. Yeah, and they're still rare here. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see them that much. Yeah, uh, well, because it's a wagon in America, so you know nobody's right. going to buy them except. Uh, automotive journalists if they happen to have inherited some money. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it's always been a great pr- – it's, it's a rocket. And it, it, it Volvo has made T6s now that just go very well. Um, it probably handles pretty well. Yeah, but it does. It's great. What's what's it ride like? It, it I had no complaints about the ride quality, even on the, you know, the big the 19 inch tires, you know, 19 inch wheels with low profile tires that were on this thing. Um, you know, the the ride quality was, you know, I mean, it was I wouldn't it wasn't cushy, but it was it was, you know, very comfortable, uh, you know, and on Michigan roads, you know, that's that's as good as you can expect, yeah, really, yeah. you know, so um, I had I had no complaints about the ride quality, um, you know, and the uh, you know in the the cargo area is about twenty five cubic feet of, of cargo space behind the rear seats, um, you know, and I sat I sat in the back seat, you know, and had plenty of room, you know, I mean it's not, you know, not a whole lot of ex, you know, not a whole lot of uh, you know headroom left over above my head, but you know I fit comfortably in the back seat, um, you know, and you know if you've got a couple of kids, you know, it'd be great a great road trip vehicle. Yeah, uh, until you get bitten by that that slightly tight uh cargo room <laughs> with well, kids stuff you know, it depends on the size of your kids. yeah i mean i mean if, if you've got young kids and you've got to haul along a you know a playpen and strollers and you know all the other accoutrements that go along with toddlers you know, then yeah you know it's probably a little on the small side for that if you've got two kids um you know if they're you know a little older yeah, uh, you know, then you can. I think twenty-five cubic feet is plenty to get by on. Yeah, you know, let's put it this way. Yeah, you know, it's it's comparable in size to the Jetta that my, that we had uh, until a few months ago, the Jetta Sport Wagon, and you know, we we did family road trips in that thing, and you know, never had any issues with it. Yeah, no, and this is a little bit of sort of hyperbole, I, I suppose, to a certain degree, you could fit stuff in those cars. You just sometimes you have to be a little clever about packing it. I, I will say so it's total interior volume, I think, is like 122 cubic feet, which is that's not bad. Um, that's cargo space and passenger room. Um, but something like a RAV4 has about 20 extra cubic feet. I don't know where. I don't know whether it's, you know, backseat no, or cargo I volume. I don't think it has that much. It is 140 cubic feet in a RAV4. Yeah. Where? I don't. It may not be shaped right to be useful. That's the other thing. I can't. I can't, I can't imagine there's 140 <laughs> cubic feet in a Rav4. I that's a, I did a quick Google search, so I could be wrong. <laughs> you can check while I blather and see if I'm right. <laughs> um, but like it, it's, I was actually surprised to see that it's 122 cubic feet. It, that like that feels bigger than the V60 felt to me, and uh, I don't want to knock it for being a small wagon. Yeah, well, um, you know, I mean, the the way the V60 is shaped, you know, it doesn't have a real long overhang uh, like some wagons do. You know, and the you know, like if you you know, looking at the greenhouse, you know, the rear glass sweeps up a little bit, so. You know, it 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 looks fairly compact. You know, I mean, it's it's not a huge car, but it's it's a good size car. I, I personally really like the size. Okay, and I, I probably wouldn't find any 
thing to complain about on a daily basis. Um, yes, you would. Uh, well, you. <laughs> sure. Um, that's 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 fair, I suppose. Uh, so does it suffer from that? that Acura problem we talked about where it's a nice car. It performs well. It's comfy. It's good looking. It's, you know, it feels marginally premium for the marginally premium price you pay for it. Uh, but when you're already spending to that level and let's face it, it's probably going to be a lease um, because it's a premium European car and those just tend to be leased, especially. Yeah. I mean, t- they're typically, you know, about two thirds of all their sales volume is usually, usually leases. So, right. Um, so what would compel somebody to go for a V60 versus, you know, uh, I'm trying to think this, this may be the reason why you'd be compelled because there's not a direct analog either in BMW or Mercedes for it because the uh, wagons over there yeah, are I bigger. Mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the closest that BMW's got now, you know, would be the three series wagon, um, you know, and you're right, I think that is a little bit bigger. Uh, the three series does have the advantage of being rear wheel drive, uh, although I think they only sell the wagon with all wheel drive now. They're, I don't think they sell the rear drive version of the wagon in the U.S. anymore. Um, and, you know, it it is available with, um, you know, with, with uh, no, actually, I don't think the wagon, I don't think you can get the wagon with a six cylinder in the U.S. anymore either. So uh, there's that too. Um, you know, uh, frankly, I, th- I think the, the Volvo is a better looking car and I'm looking forward to, you know, then certainly better. I think it's better looking than the, the current three series wagon. Um, I don't think they sell a normal Audi A4 wagon here anymore. Uh, they don't sell a Mercedes C-Class or, um, you know, well, they have an E-Class, but that, I think that's quite a bit bigger. Yeah, and it's a lot more expensive. Yeah, so really, you don't you don't have a lot of options, you know, in terms of the uh, uh, the, the the you know what's what's available, you know, in a wagon this size, you know, that's that's fair, you know, that's not something that is you know that's been jacked up to be you know sort of pseudo crossover. I mean, you know, granted, Volvo does sell the V60 cross country, which is, you know, the Outback Audi all road, you know, style, you know, jack it up an inch or so, you know, and put some, um, you know, flat black plastic uh, wheel flare, you know, flares on the wheel arches, you know, to make it look, you know, sort of kind of like an SUV. It's got to look tough. Yeah. Give, give you that little little bit of extra toughness uh toughness and appearance but uh um other than that you know there's there, there's really nothing else available like that anymore since the uh the Acura TSX wagon went away a couple of years ago so i guess we've we've discovered it's it's niche um you know cuz it it's still for whatever reason uh, i maybe it's me personally i don't hold uh, Volvo's stuff in quite the same esteem. I feel like it's almost, but not quite, in this uh, you know, swimming in the same pool as as BMW and Mercedes, and it costs the same most of the time. So, a lot of the times, I find myself shrugging and saying, like, y- y- you know, at least in the sedans, like, y- look, if you're going to spend that kind of money, like, especially if you're going to buy versus lease, like, just just go buy the one that has better resale. You know, it'll be an investment. Oh, it's only because uh, you've owned a couple of Volvos. 
It may be. Maybe <laughs> I'm just cranky about it. Uh, I do like the cars. I do like their, you know, the way they do things, and they they have a unique perspective, and they they stand out, and that's that's tough to do. Um, you know, how was everything to to use inside? Have they marred that one with uh, their their big touch screen in the middle of the dash now no, too? And and that's something uh, that you know on the new one, you know, we'll we'll almost certainly see the the census infotainment system. So this one still has the older style infotainment system. So you've got uh, you know on the center stack, there's an array of buttons that looks like a giant old school, you know, phone touchpad. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> a, a, you know, like about a, a five inch, four and a half or five inch screen, you know, non-touch screen display at the top of the stack. Um, you know, there's no Android Auto or CarPlay support, things like that. Um, you know, it does have, you know, Bluetooth like everybody else. But, um, you know, it's a fairly straightforward system to use, though. Um, you know, you've got you know, physical controls that, that make it easy to use while you're driving. Um, so I, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any serious complaints with it. Um, you know, it's, it doesn't do a whole lot, but it, what it does, it does, it does reasonably well. I seen that's the thing. You, you limit its functions and all of a sudden it becomes a little easier to use, it becomes a little more streamlined. Um, yeah, I'm sure it yeah. just well, feels you know, behind I mean, the as, game. As, as an example, and I, I use the same example in, a, in another article I wrote recently. Um, you know, if you think back to the original iPhone in 2007, you know, it it did, it did actually was missing a lot of the functionality that you could get in other smartphones that had come out before. You know, like the like the Palm trios and uh, Windows phones and things like that. Uh, you know, it didn't have things like cut and paste and, and a bunch of other functionality. But the things that it did, it did really well. You know, it was well executed. And, you know, I think it's similar with this. You know, it doesn't have a lot of the latest functionality that you get on, on other vehicles today, including other Volvos. But the stuff it does, you know, is has been really refined and, and sorted out and it, and it works reliably. Um, and in a way, I'm, you know, I'm. I'm sure that the the new V60 is probably going to be, you know, based on you know what they've done with the styling of of the rest of the Volvo lineup, um, you know, especially the, the the larger ones. You know, I'm confident that it's going to be a great looking vehicle with the the new Volvo design cues. Um, but you know, I th I'm I think I'll kind of miss you know the more simple um, control setup that's in this one versus using the census system in the uh, in the new vehicles. I really do miss it because Volvo for years had such clear ergonomics mm -hmm. and, um, and the seats in this car are fantastic. Are they, they don't push your head down too far with that aggressive head restraint thing. No, I, I mean, I, it, that's never bothered me anyway. See, um, you're not super short enough. You're not, you're not of, of short enough stature. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, but the, I mean, the lateral support, you know, this, the R design, you know, has uh, more, oh, it has more nice heavily seats, yeah. bolstered seats and they're really comfortable and really supportive. Um, and I really enjoyed sitting in them. So for what yeah. it's worth, I, I did find the, uh, the, the RAV4 specs and you're right, it's 140 cubic feet. Um, I have no idea where, where all that space is, uh, but it's apparently there. It could be up in the air. Like literally, it, it has it, it has a higher refine. Yeah. Um, so I I don't know. Um, I would rather drive the Volvo than the Rav Four. Oh well, absolutely. I would I would definitely choose the the Volvo over over any of the <clears throat> the utilities that are out there. Yeah. You know, granted, you know, as I said, it's it's not 
it's not inexpensive, you know, I mean, at 54,000 for the, the R design, you know, it's, it's fairly pricey, but you know, it's also not out of line with, you know, other premium, uh, European cars of that size and, and performance level. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you can get a sweet deal. They just, they're trying to move iron just. Yeah. Well, especially now, you know, as I said, it's, you know, it's, it's at the end of its life cycle, you know, it's going to be replaced, you know, within the next, you know, six to nine months. Uh, although we may not see the new one here in the U.S. probably before next summer at the earliest, uh, if they even bring it here in, in this form. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, now's probably a pretty good, pretty good time to get one. Yeah. And if you're in the Volvo market. Yeah. We, we clearly... If you have the means, or you, or you know, you just you just want a you know a really nice looking midsize car, you know, with with good performance and you know comfy seats and uh, you know some extra room in the back for your for your stuff. I mean, it just kind of makes me feel like uh, that Buick uh, Regal Tour X thing yeah. is going to be serious competition. Oh yeah, I, I think so too. I think I think the Tour, you know, the Regal is actually a little bigger than this one. Um, so, you know, it, it may have an advantage there. Yeah. The, uh, it's, the flip side of that is it's probably not going to be quite as nice. The, you know, even the seats won't be, and I'm sure it'll be nice, but not quite as nice. So, um, yeah, we'll so, have to. So you've been see. driving a premium European car too this week, right? I have. Um, I have been uh, plying the roads in a BMW M550i X drive. Uh, it's a, yeah. Um, I'm to words, words family. It's a, it's a uh, lovely vehicle, lovely automobile. Um, it's a while back. I had written about the 530 I, um, I, I wrote that for Forbes and just basically that car, the current five series and even the five series sort of just directly before it, um, really marks the end of, uh, the driver's car and that's you know the sports sedan um, and that that article got some commentary like well yes of course you drove the base powertrain you know it's not supposed to be sporty but I argue that it should feel sporty even if it's not fast or you know it doesn't have the, the powerful engine it should feel connected to the road and uh, handle in a way that you would expect of, you know, somebody who's been following along uh, with BMW's uh, sort of playbook for a while. It doesn't feel like that, and neither does this car. Um, so while it definitely has a lot of performance, <laughs> um, it, I think until we have the next M5, uh, this is the quickest five there is. And it's pretty quick. Yeah, well, from from what I've heard, the next M5 um, is also going to be all-wheel drive as well. So, I mean, it it's, sounds like it's basically going to be this car, you know, just, you know, turn up the volume a little more on the on the engine. Yeah, and that's that's fine. Uh, they, what they haven't done is uh, make it feel any lighter on its feet. It actually feels really heavy. Um, it, you know, it has that silky ride quality that BMWs have had where, it, you know, it's very much the chassis is always in control. It soaks up, uh, bumps very nicely. It rides nicely. It handles well. 
but it's very aloof. Um, and it, there's a lot of this car. It, it feels heavy. And maybe that's just the way it's tuned. Maybe it's not quite as heavy as, as it feels, but it's it's a big car. It um, may not be quite as long as the Crown Victoria, but it's it's sure chunky when it's parked behind it in the driveway. It makes that car look a little small. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely got a, you know, a very um, a broad stance, broad shouldered stance to it. Yeah. You know, with the big wheels and everything that they put on the uh, on on the M models, you know, and you know, obviously it's not, you know, the full blown M5, but, they, you know, you still get bigger wheels and tires on there. And it it gives it it gives it that stance that uh, looks more aggressive. It's a, I am. I it almost looks like it has a slightly lower ride height. And it may uh, than the regular, you know, the 530 because um, it, it it is lovely inside and out. It it looks great. It's it is uh, color is uh, Mediterranean blue metallics. It's this oh, dark uh, metallic yeah, blue. That's a fantastic color. Um, and the M has brushed metal exterior trim. So brushed metal mirror caps and the kidneys around the grill are brushed metal. It, it looks really good. The interior is, is done in uh, cognac Dakota leather. Um so yeah, it's it's a very nice car and in that sense. And you mentioned on Twitter the other day that you were playing around with some of the uh, some of the controls, and you said you actually liked the um, <laughs> like the gesture controls on there. So I thought that I was going to just absolutely hate it, but uh, you know, it shows you the little thing like make the make the spinning motion with your finger, and it'll turn the volume up and down, and it's it's responsive and it's really quick. And I was like, huh. You can just sort of prop your arm up on the armrest and and just twirl your finger and it, it turns the volume up and down. But and you, but did you, you know, notice how 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 many inches away from that volume knob your finger was as you were doing that? I mean, you know, it's yeah. not it's not exactly a long reach to get to the knob to do the same thing and do no, it but, precision. But so yes, that's true. Or I could just use my thumb on the the button on the steering yeah. wheel spoke. So there, there is that, but is, there's something about just like driving along and you've got your arm on the armrest anyway, and you just, you just pick up your finger and you twirl it a little bit and the volume goes up and down. Um, I don't know why that feels more streamlined in some ways, I, but it, it does to a degree. Also, my nine-year-old loved it. He's like, oh, let me do it. Let me try. <laughs> and he couldn't get it, so he got frustrated. Um, and probably, the other... Just a little bit too far away for the sensor to pick it up. Yeah, um, but we'll we'll conquer that this weekend. I'll have him doing all the gestures. Uh, the other one that I like is you make a little cutting motion with your your uh, your two fingers, like like scissors, mm-hmm. and that sh- you I set that to shut the screen off. So I just you know cut and it shuts the screen off. Um, so like that that's really nice. Um, I I really really like that a lot more than I ever thought I would. Um, so. Hey, I, I certainly did not expect you to like it that much. I I think what it is is you can turn, and this is BMW's thing. You can turn what you want on and what you don't want off. Uh, very much like like my Mac um, with the touchpad. There's a lot of functions you can do on that touchpad. I shut most of it off. Uh, so when somebody else tries to use my Mac, they're like, why doesn't this work? Why is spaces off? What kind of monster are you? And it's just, it's just like how I want it set up. Uh, so it's very, very nice that you can deeply set up the car, uh, to, to be how you want. And that's, that's the thing. It's, it's very complex. And so probably the first couple of weeks or month that you have this car, you're going to both discover things about it and then figure out how to use it 
But after a little while, it's really going to feel like yours. And so while on the one hand, I feel like it's overly complex. On the other hand, I don't know any better way to to get it to be exactly yours other than, you know, building it yourself. You know, the amount of flexibility that they've put into the the interface uh, for this car is I'm impressed by it. Um, and I, you know, in the past, I'd been like, nah, we don't need any stinking gesture controls and I shut it off. And I, you know, I, now that I'm trying it, uh, I'm, I'm coming around a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, what, one of the, the, the trends in the last couple of years, you know, in the, in premium cars is this move, um, towards multimodal interfaces, you know, and giving the driver an option of numerous different ways to control things, you know, so you've got physical controls, you know, knobs and switches, touch controls, you know, touch screens and, and touch pads, you know, like the, uh, the, the pad on the top of the, uh, the iDrive controller, uh, for inputting numbers and, and things like that. Um, and then, you know, voice controls and, and in, in the case of BMW, also the gesture controls are the, they're the first ones to do that and giving, giving the driver the, the option of doing it however they like, you know, providing that opportunity for personalization, as you said, um, because, you know, they've, they've heard, they've heard, basically they've heard the complaints. Manufacturers have heard the complaints. You know, some people love touchscreens, other people hate them. And, you know, you know, the, those people are obviously right because, you know, touchscreens don't belong in cars, but, um, the, you know, ha- having the, the ability to do it whatever way you prefer, you know, I think is probably a good thing as long as the alternatives don't get in your way. Uh, you know, right. and, ha- and having the ability to turn those other things off if you don't want to use them, you know, like for me, typically, uh, especially in Mercedes cars, you know, I'll usually turn off the, the touchpad uh, for entering numbers because the, the way they've got it arranged, um, you know, I often end up. Uh, falsely triggering it, you know, when I go to use the the command, the rotary knob. Um, so I prefer to have that off on on the Audis and BMWs. You know, I I, I didn't have the the same issue with a false activation, so I didn't I just didn't bother with it. Um, you know, so that's that's kind of the the, the trend that think these things are going. Yeah, and it, it, the the tech in this car, like, there's a lot of it. Oh yeah, uh, I did like. To that that sort of multimodal way, like at, at the end of the day, if you get to a place in iDrive where you, you don't know where you are, you just get fed up with trying to figure out how to input. It's the touch. There's a touch screen. It's just reach out and poke the screen. Yeah, and, and it'll it'll do what you you know. Th- it it'll at least do something. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I really can't find anything to fault about this car. Uh, it it is it's what I think you'd expect a five series to be. It it does you know like or, I said or it, it more does what you what you might have expected a say a seven series to be ten years ago oh it's absolutely yes I mean it has a large trunk it has a large back seat it's very comfortable it's uh, quiet it drives with authority uh, I didn't feel any desire really to for it to go you know clipping apexes and that stuff it, it handles well but it's the steering's not all that communicative it's it's a little bit numb a little bit aloof like i said um but it it'll hustle it'll definitely hustle and that's that's fine yeah, it'll well, four, you know 456 horsepower will do that for you yeah uh the engine sounds great i don't care if it plays through the stereo or what like it doesn't <laughs> matter you put it in sport mode it rumbles nice so it it does all of the things that it's supposed to do and it does them well um it's just not that you know for me the height of the five series was the e34 you know it was it was that was 
just the beginning of the modern five series and that basic sort of idiom went all the way through the E39 and, and, you know, and then they went with the E60, which was a big change. And uh, even that car now uh, to drive that back to back with this is going to feel so much more light on its feet and delicate and nimble and responsive. Um, This this is a, a different thing. So I still feel like regardless of how much extra power is in this car, which you can really only uncork in certain situations, uh, it's it's much more of a drag racer now. Yeah. Um, well, you know, that, and and I think you know part of that is you know because this thing weighs forty four hundred pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, pretty hefty. I mean, you you, yeah. you described it as hefty before, and it actually it really is. You know, and one hundred and seventeen inch wheelbase. You know, so I think that's you know, a big ass car. Yeah. I mean, that, Jesus. It, it, it actually is bigger than your Crown Vic. Uh, and it's 195 inches long, and I think that may actually be bigger than the Crown Vic as well. It, it might be. I mean, it, it look whatever it does, it looks damn good doing it, and they they manage that weight really well. I didn't realize it was 4,400 pounds. That's that's as heavy as my Jeep, for crying out loud. Um, so fine, whatever. Uh, it it does everything it's supposed to do really well, but it's it's not a traditional sports sedan, and that's fine because nobody's buying a traditional sports sedan. People are buying these very high tech cars with you know, powerful engines. That's exactly what it is. So, and it's, it's very pretty. And it's also $88,000. <laughs> um, yeah. And it has night vision. Like it has all the toys, uh, really like in, interesting tech to play with. Um, and it's, it's getting 23 miles to the gallon, which I thought was pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're obviously not driving it that aggressively because, you know, you can certainly get it, uh, get that number much lower than that, uh, without, without trying too hard. Well, you know, that's an interesting thing. Another thing that I've really uh, been impressed by with it is, uh, it's done a lot of its own driving. (laughs) (laughs) The, the, um, I I don't even know if it's level two, uh, it's lane keeping system. It's, it's it's not, it's not officially a level two. Uh, it's just it's just really well done level one yeah uh, you know so yeah. the the uh the the lane keeping and the adaptive cruise control you know aren't tied together they don't work in concert with each other but um that doesn't mean that they're fighting each other either so no they they work almost inde- independently almost like they're working together uh you know it definitely it keeps its lane really really well and stop and go uh as long and- as it can see the lane markers yeah, and it's really good about seeing the lane markers. It's been raining for a few days here, and some of the lane markings, you know, are not real well painted. You know, they're kind of worn. It's been pretty good about it. Uh, so that's that's impressive. Um, you know, it's it's well done uh, to the point where a lot of the stop and go, I've just sort of let it do its thing, and it's it's good at it. Um, I, I do find that if you don't shut off the lane keeping system, then you, when you're on the highway or you're trying to do like a, a sweeping turn or something, you start to feel that weird notchiness because it's, it's still operating. Mm-hmm. So then, then you feel like the car is starting to fight you. So you have to remember to shut it off or you'll get this weird, like, why must you make me hate you kind of feeling for the car? Like, what are you up to? Yeah. Um, but it's otherwise, yeah, that that's actually been very impressive. Um, so uh, apparently, of all the things I complain about, I like the gesture controls and the self-driving. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly the things I would have, not the things I would have expected from you. So, yeah. So, so, so who stole the real Dan Roth and who the hell? No, no, I got to keep you, I got to keep you guessing. Um, it, it's, if you're going to do it, 
do it well yes. and do it right. And I think that that BMW and Mercedes and even Volvo, like uh, those companies have committed to if, the, you know, if we're going to put this stuff in our cars, it's going to be good. And it, it, it is consistently good. You can always expect that the, these features in, in the BMWs are going to to be much better than just like off the shelf plugged in. They're going to be really well integrated, and they are. So, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't. I mean, after having praised Volvo so much earlier, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree that they've necessarily done that good a job on the uh, their drive pilot implementation. I I did not find their system to be particularly reliable, but. So, yeah. It just couldn't lock on to it, it couldn't it couldn't detect lane markings most of the time. And, you know, when it did, it didn't do a very good job of, of especially in curves, you know, of, of tracking the curve. You know, it often ended up drifting wide. Um, and I, I actually found the, the BMW, you know, the five series system to work much better than what's in the Volvo, even though it's not technically even it's not technically supposed to be as sophisticated as what Volvo claims of their drive pilot system. Um, I found it actually worked better, at least, you know, when it when it was detecting the lane markings, which I did have some issues with that with the five series um, under certain certain lighting conditions. It had a hard time with lane markings. Yeah. Um, it's, so once the systems are good enough, I can see how adoption is, is closer. You know, it, it's not going to be that much of a leap. Um, I still don't, I don't think we're ever going to get to the, well, not, we're not, we're definitely going to get to the point, but I don't think like, uh, who was it? Was it um, NVIDIA's chief today? I was like, yeah, we're going to have cars on the road by 2020. <laughs> I think he's uh, he's exaggerating a, a wee bit, um, you know, we'll, by, by wee bit, you mean a lot. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> it's I mean, it sounds good when you've got that little headset mic on and you're in front of people. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I mean, sounds, you know, he's, he's, sounds he's awesome. trying to sell, you know, high powered uh, ECUs to automakers. So, you know, he's got to make the case. You know, he's yeah. he's got to sell his drive PX units to everybody. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe. Stranger stranger things could happen by, between now and then, but I, I don't think that we're going to have fully autonomous cars on the road. Um, we'll, have, but, we'll have some in, in some limited locations. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've already got some in some limited locations, and that's, that, should, that should give us our little pivot into the first, first bit of news. Yeah. Um, so bigger news earlier this week. Uh, especially for me, because these cars are this. You, you can see a Renault running around the Raymond Flynn Marine Park. And also, I think now they've allowed them out on the streets. It's, it's like uh, so in the Boston area, Newtonomy was a spinoff from MIT. Um, they were actually partnered with Renault Nissan. So you'd see Renault test cars. Well, they, around they were they were they bought some like some of their first test vehicles were Renault Zoe's. Uh, yeah. But they never actually had. I don't think they ever had, actually had an official partnership with Renault. Um, that they they earlier this year they did form a partnership with PSA, uh, and they're they're working with them to put their system on some Peugeot vehicles. Yeah, the pictures on their website are like Renaults and awesome looking Peugeot crossovers. Right. <laughs> Things we can't get here. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so they have been bought by Delphi. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because Delphi already owns a company that does this. Yeah. So um, 
I got a. I guess we should back up and say like what Newtonomy does, right? Yeah. So Newtonomy, as as you said, is a spinoff from MIT, and you know they've been developing automated driving technology. And the other thing they've also been developing is um, the you know an automated ride hailing service model. Um, and for a little more than a year now, both um, Newtonomy and Delphi have actually been testing uh, their own fleets. Each each has about half a dozen vehicles in Singapore that, uh, you know, they got a contract from the uh, Singapore Land Transit Authority uh, to develop uh, first mile, last mile services to basically do robo taxis to get people from a certain section of Singapore to some of the various train stations, um, you know, and, and also pick them up from the train stations and deliver them to their homes. And so they've been, they've been testing those over there for, uh, it's about August of 2016. And uh, uh, Newtonomy, you know, it's a fairly small company, you know, um, I think it's about 60 people right now. And, uh, you know, they've, they've done some pretty impressive things. One of their, their co-founders, I was on the conference call, um, earlier this week when they made the announcement with Delphi and, you know, one of their, their, one of the two co-founders, Carlin Yema is the CEO and the other guy is uh, Emilio Frizzoli and, uh, Frizzoli, uh, his focus has been on the services side, developing the, the optimization models for how you deploy these vehicles, because that's going to be a key part of actually making a viable business out of this is, you know, getting these mobility services um, and making sure you've got the vehicles in the right places where where you know people are going to need them, so you minimize the wait times and you know improve the experience for riders, um, and you know also be able to move as many people as you can and keep these things busy, and so they're not sitting empty. Um, and so um, Delphi, uh, which already owned uh, in 2015, they bought a company that was a spinoff from Carnegie Mellon University called Automatica that has been developing the automated driving software that Delphi has been using up till now. And uh, so now they've bought Newtonomy uh, and Newtonomy has all the services stuff, but they've also got their own independently developed uh, automated driving algorithms. Um, And uh, from uh, on the conference call, I asked uh, Carl and also Glenn DeVos, the CTO of, of Newtonomy or of of Delphi, um, you know, What's going to happen here? You know, are they going to merge the work that the two groups are doing or uh, are they going to drop Automatica? And, he, and what he told me was that they're they're actually going to keep both of them developing in parallel because, they, you know, they actually see this as an important part of the whole safety equation for automated driving. Because one of the things you're going to need, you know, with as you get into automated vehicles that are, you know, like truly automated that are that can run around without a driver and have no no human input controls is you've got to have a lot of redundancy in the vehicles. You've got to have redundant brake actuators, redundant steering, you know, things that we didn't have to have in the past because, you know, the human driver was always the backup if your power steering assist failed or your, your brake booster failed, things like that. The human driver, you know, just push harder on the brake pedal or, you know, turn the steering wheel harder. Um, but with without a human driver, now you've got to have all this stuff backed up and part of that is backing up the the compute platform and the the software and when you're doing safety evaluation um you know if you're going to have a, a backup system what you you know the optimal case is to not have two identical systems running in parallel because if there's a problem that is a software bug um 
you know, then they're both going to make, you know, if you have the same inputs to both, they're both going to make the same mistakes and you're not going to realize that there's a bug there. Whereas if you've got two independently developed systems, you know, they can cross check each other and, and, and verify, you know, that you're getting the same results. And so that's what they're planning on doing, uh, with these is actually using them, uh, running in parallel with each other on vehicles. Yeah, and I guess that makes sense. It's just, um, and you don't seem to think this is a, a big issue where it's it's just you've got two systems. Do they start to fight each other? Well, that and that's that's the that's where you know you, it does create a new problem. Now is how do you, you know when there is uh, a mismatch between the two? How do you decide which one's right? And I think uh, you know, I mean, there's there's ways to do that. You know, to have algorithms, you know, to to vote between the two. But I think more what's going to be more likely the case is if you start to see significant deviations between the two, um, then you're going to go into what they call a minimum risk condition, uh, which is basically to gracefully degrade, you know, and bring the vehicle to a safe location until uh, and, and stop, you know, until somebody can check it out and figure out what's going on. Yeah, um, it, it makes sense to to have sort of redundant systems and and even just redundant suppliers. If you're even if you get to the point where you're only putting a single system on a car, having more than one supplier for it, although uh, it may make a a more complicated support situation, you know, on the other side. But it, it, you know maybe there you know maybe autonomy is doing something one way that's you know more elegant requires uh, you know less horsepower to run is more efficient or just more responsive and and you know uh newtonomy is, is doing another thing better and and so you're sort of getting two different teams and they're not that they're necessarily competing with each other but they're they're refining sort of using their own disciplines and, and that's that's a way to get some some really good stuff right and you know some some degree of competition in there is, is good as well you know and, and some collaboration you know having having independent teams you know trying different things out to see what works best uh there there's 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 definitely some some advantages to that and i think you know you, what you end up with hopefully is a a better system overall yeah well and i, I you know looking at what newtonomy does too so they're their real focus seems to be the software side of it. So yeah, they're not doing any hardware, right? Um, and and it's, that's like a really good fit for Delphi because Delphi <laughs> does all that other stuff. Um, does that mean that uh, Delphi is going to sell this capability to other auto? You know, I'm I'm assuming that because of Delphi's close relationship with GM. Uh, we may see this stuff not as close as it used to be okay i mean they're they're still a major supplier to gm but they you know gm is no longer you know their their dominant customer um because you know for those that are not familiar with delphi uh you know the company um was actually spun off from gm in the late 1990s uh you know originally delphi was gm's all of gm's parts divisions or most of gm's parts divisions right um you know and it got spun off in the 1990s um you know it used to be used to op- originally operated in, in within gm under the the delco banner you know so you had delco moraine and delco electronics and uh delco remi and a bunch of other uh, units and those were all combined as Delphi and then spun off and then in 2005 they um, they went bankrupt and you know filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy and most of the the 
previous businesses that were part of Delphi uh, back in those days um, have long since been either shut down or sold off. You know, so I think uh, businesses like the steering business got sold off to or got spun off as next year. Um, and uh, the motor business got uh, sold to uh, or got spun off and then is now part actually part of Borg Warner. Uh, that was Remy. Uh, you know, so a bunch of businesses that are long since gone. And it's a, it's a smaller company than it was, but it's more focused. And in fact, now um, Delphi is in the process of actually splitting itself into two. Uh, and the powertrain systems business, you know, fuel injection systems and, and other engine components, that's going to become uh, sometime after the first of the year is going to become Delphi Technologies. And then the electrical architecture and automated driving and services business is going to be uh, renamed as Aptiv. Uh, and so Newtonomy and Automatica are going to be part of Aptiv going forward. And what they want to do, uh, what Delphi slash Aptiv wants to do is um, they're, they're developing a, a turnkey automated driving solution. You know, so the full stack, you know, with the ECU, the software, the services, uh, full set of sensors and an automaker can come to them and, and buy, you know, buy this full stack, you know, and then just integrate it into their vehicle. And so they'll provide everything. And, and what they're trying to do, you know, with, with Newtonomy and Automatica and all the other stuff is by doing it as a, a full stack solution instead of selling it piecemeal is try to get more scale so they can drive the cost down. And, you know, they've also got investments. You know, Delphi already makes, you know, uh, camera sensors and, and radar sensors um, that they use, you know, that are used for driver assist systems. And, you know, now they've got investments in three different LIDAR companies that are going to be part of their, their system as well. So, you know, they're putting all the pieces together. Yeah. And I, that was the point that I was trying very inelegantly <laughs> to, to make was that they're, they're selling a system to automakers. It's going to be ready to go, you know, so whoever wants to pick it up, uh, you know, it has, has everything sort of ready to go. It's got the software and it plugs into your existing platform and, you know, some, some tuning and off, off we off we go. Yep. Um, so that, that'll be interesting to watch. Um, I think also the amount that Delphi paid for Newtonomy was like an order of magnitude smaller than uh, some of the other companies that were bought not too long ago. Mm, uh, no, not really. Up. I mean, um, GM paid somewhere between 600 million and, and a billion for cruise automation last year. Um, and Ford, you know, is investing a billion dollars into Argo, but not all at once. You know, it's like $200 million a year over, over five years. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it's, it's, and what did they spend on autonomy? Was it like one, 400, 450. Oh, was, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So that was the, that was the thing was, uh, mm. Okay, I thought it was a larger delta between them and yeah, uh, no, it's, Cruise. It, no, it's it's actually a you know it's a little bit less than you know what the other deals were, but not by a whole lot. And you know, for the investors in in autonomy, um, you know, it's a it's a pretty good exit for those guys, uh, including you know one of one of the early investors in autonomy was a venture fund called uh, Fontanellis Partners, which is based in Detroit and uh, is actually. Um, one of the uh, one of the founders of Fontanellis is uh, a guy named Bill Ford, <laughs> and it's it's a it's a venture fund that he set up. He doesn't he doesn't actively run it, 
Um, you know, so his money is, but his money is in it, his personal investments, uh, a lot of his personal investments, uh, go through Fontanalis, uh, and they focus on mobility related businesses. So they're, they're an investor in Lyft and Newtonomy and a, and a whole bunch of other interesting companies. Well, he's no dummy. He has the money to just put it into what's, what's next. So yeah, absolutely. Continue to be rich. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's get a little more excited. Um, th- there's a Ford Mustang Performance Pack Level Two thing that seems really fun. Yeah, because uh, you know, also just really there's, there's no such thing as too much performance, right? Uh, I mean, look, when you want to mow down people, there's nothing better than a Mustang GT for it. Um, <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully there will be few few of those incidents uh, with the with the Level Two since it's got so much more grip. Uh, yeah, no, it'll just me mean that the, the things are more tragic <laughs> when it happens. The limits are higher. Uh, it's, it can be more epic. Um, I mean, I, I really like just the picture, uh, pictures of the, the new Mustang GT. I didn't like the nose the fir- when I first saw it, the newer, newer nose. Uh, it's grown on me a lot. Although the Vaughn Gittin version that we also saw this week is not not good looking no um but uh yeah so they're making a a hotter mustang it has and the level two means nothing about uh automated driving like you noted in your forbes post yep Uh, so what is it so um there's no additional power uh so it's the same same 460 horsepower uh five liter v8 that's in all the other mustang gts whether it's got performance uh, or not and that's fine because it doesn't need any more power. Yeah, it's like, it's got plenty. I mean, if you want more power, you can always step up to the GT350, um, you know, with the uh, uh, the Voodoo uh, flat crane plank V8. Uh, you should absolutely step up to that. That engine is amazing. Yeah. It's worth it. Oh, <laughs> but, <laughs> that, you know, that's been a high point of the last year. Yeah, I mean, th- uh, this one, uh, you know, the performance pack level two is kind of meant to bridge the gap between the existing GT performance pack and the GT 350, you know, kind of gets you halfway in between. Um, so there's, there's the powertrain is unchanged. Uh, what they did do though, is, uh, they added a lot more grip. Uh, so it's got a front splitter, you know, they, they kind of were inspired by the, uh, uh, the old Boss 302 Laguna Seca edition uh, that they did back in 2012, 2013. Uh, and so it's got a front splitter, um, uh, a modified rear, rear deck spoiler. And between those two, you know, it significantly increases the downforce at speed. Um, and then uh, they added bigger wheels and tires. Uh, so it's got Michelin uh, Pilot Cup 2 tires, which are for all intents and purposes, street legal race tires. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely not tires that, uh, you know, if it, if it rains, you, you want to keep this one in the garage. Um, you, you definitely want to stay away from the rain. Uh, definitely no, no winter weather driving. Um, and then it's got uh, special wheels uh, that are unique to the level two, uh, 10 and a half inch wide in the front, 11 inches in the rear. And when we saw this thing, you know, they, they invited us out to uh, the wind tunnel in, in Dearborn uh, where they, uh, took the wraps off of this car. And when you see it, you know, those 10 and a half inch wide front tires, I mean, they literally come right out to the edge of the wheel arches. Anything wider than that would require wider fenders. Uh, so these are the biggest tires they could possibly wheels and tires they could possibly fit in here, um, without changing the bodywork. Yeah. It's a, it's a serious 
Mustang. I wonder how much less of a handful it might be versus the GT350 because and that car is actually really easy to drive for the level of performance you get, but it tramlines quite a bit and it's just you know if you're not if you're not on it, uh, it it can get away from you and like that's as it should be. Uh, I wonder if this uh, the GT Performance Pack Level Two is just a little bit more civilized. Yeah, I, I, I think it probably is. Um, although you know, it I think on these tires um, on the on the road, it might you might still have some issues with with it tramlining a bit. You know, following grooves in the road. Um, but overall, I think you know it, you probably find it a a pretty good experience to drive this thing. You know, and this is you know this thing is obviously going to be better on the track than the existing performance pack. Um, but you know, it's not really meant to be, you know, at the, the pure, you know, track car, uh, or really optimized track car that the GT 350 is the GT 350, you know, along with more power has, you know, enhanced cooling, uh, you know, for the transmission and the, the rear differential, it's got coolers for those. Um, you know, so if you're going to be doing any extended track driving, you know, they definitely recommend that you step up to the GT 350 instead, it's going to be more, more robust for those conditions. You know, you can do, you can do a few laps with this thing and it'll, it'll acquit itself very well on the track, you know, they did plenty of track testing with it in addition to road testing uh and you know Grattan Raceway on the west side of Michigan where uh they go on a fairly regular basis with the Mustangs <clears throat> um the performance pack level two got three and a half seconds a lap faster than the uh than the existing performance pack and that's without any additional power that's just from mechanical grip that's that's a lot I mean yeah. it, to, to, to be get, clear, you know, this, this, and it, you know, Grattan's not a real long track, you know, it's about a 90 second lap and they got, they cut off three and a half seconds a lap with these upgrades. Right. So it's, just, it handles a lot better. Yes. Um, and, and to be clear, like you're not going to pick up three and a half seconds a lap on just any track, you know, a track with longer straights where you can actually let it stretch its legs, uh, you know, the, the increased downforce and the, the, you know, same, same power level is actually probably going to hurt you. You're going to, you're going to be slower on the straights, but you'll, you'll pick up in the curves. So yeah, I mean, like that's, that's always a little more drag with this because the tires are wider and you know, the extra downforce is going to give you some drag, but um, yeah, you're right. It, it's, it's really meant for the curves. So if you live somewhere like, you know, say, you know, Southern California where you can go driving, <laughs> the, you know, driving the canyons above Malibu or, you know, West Virginia where they did a lot of testing with it as well. Um, you know, that it's going to be a great option. Yeah. And I was just going to say, like, in terms of a performance enhancement that you can really appreciate every day, anywhere, uh, chassis enhancements have it hands down over performance. Once you're at the level of this car where it has, you know, 460 horsepower, 420 pound feet of torque, something like that. Yep. Like, that that's that's plenty. That's uh, that's enough horsepower to really put a smile on your face. <laughs> Um, to be able to actually use it more as you exit corners is even better. And that's, you know, that's why I think that uh, they're going to try to use it and they're still going to run out of talent. <laughs> <laughs>
before well, the Mustang does. Yeah, you know, and um, the performance pack level two, um, you know, includes the uh, the Magna Ride dampers as part of the package, and they're they've been retuned, you know, to work better with this this set of tire wheels and tires, and and the the spring rate changes that they did. Uh, it sits about a half inch lower than the other performance pack. Um, stiffer uh, anti-roll bars and um, while it's it's not going to accelerate to 60 any faster than uh, other Mustangs it will uh, actually brake quite a bit better and uh, I think Tom Barnes, uh, the vehicle engineering manager said it'd be about 10% shorter braking distances uh, thanks to these tires So what does it cost? About uh Six, what is it, sixty five hundred dollars more? Uh, yeah. So the performance pack level two, the the level one performance pack is four thousand dollars. The performance pack level two is sixty five, so it's an extra twenty five hundred over the other one. Uh, but you can you can get this um, on the base Mustang GT, so you don't have to you don't have to step up to the um, to the premium. So you can actually get a Mustang GT, you know, with the cloth interior and performance pack level two starting at forty two five. Which is a pretty good deal. That's about fifteen grand less than a GT three fifty. That is a lot of all. Must all joking aside, that is all the performance car for that money. Yeah. you you will not find a better deal. <laughs> like that's that's a lot of car. Except for um, maybe a Camaro one LE, but you know, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting when they start. Uh, you know, when we start seeing some comparisons between this one and the one LE, uh, to see you know which one which one's quicker on the track. Uh, I think I think they'll be pretty comparable. Yeah, I mean, even the what what has always been the pattern uh, for decades is the the Camaro puts up better performance numbers. It's better on the track, uh, but on the street, the Mustang is preferable. Yep, it's it's an easier car to live with. Yeah, uh, and I think that's probably still the case. Yeah, most of the time. Um, so uh, the the level two it, the um, you can order them now and they're going to start building them in the spring. So uh, is your order in? You going to get one? Uh, no. Really? Ah, oh, and if I had if I had disposable money, <laughs> I mean, if I had forty two grand kicking around, that would go to a house. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be no car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, so Maybe let's see. One of these days, but but not right away. Yeah. Um. When I'm a rich venture capitalist, so never. Yeah. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, um, we saw we saw some things at uh, was it Tokyo? Yeah, the Tokyo was, Motor Show is on this. Was week. happening. Um, so, what did you think of of the stuff coming out? I know we've got we want to talk a little bit specifically about the, the Honda Sports EV, but um, there is a bunch of bonkers kind of concept stuff uh especially the mazda concept that everybody seems to really be in love with what did you think um i like it a lot mostly um (laughs) (laughs) so qualified well actually you know the the big sedan um the uh what did they call that one um it's like the uh shoot i don't have it in front of me yeah the the thing the (laughs) mazda thing (laughs) Um, you know, the, the big, the big sedan, you know, which they didn't really give much detail on, you know, and it's, you know, what, what they said is it's basically, um, the, uh, is it the vision coupe? No, not the vision coupe. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. 
right. Um, you know, I, I think the the deal there was it's it's basically a design preview of where they're going with their next generation of cars. Uh, yeah, and the uh, next evolution of their design language. Right, and a lot of people are saying, "Oh, they must build it. Look at it; it's too pretty uh, not to build." Uh, and I'm looking at it, going, "Like it, it, it is pretty. Uh, there's no way." That's going to make it to production. Just, I mean, from practical matters, like the rear doors and so, like just looking at it, going, yeah, they, they won't, they won't build that car. No, not like that. And if they do, it's not going to be quite like that for, for production, but it, it is a beautiful concept. And Mazda definitely has their, their design mojo working. And we saw uh, sort of a preview of what the next three is going to look like too. But that, that sort of got lost in the shuffle next to the vision. Yeah. So the, the other concept they showed was the Kai, uh, which is uh, a preview of where they're going with the next generation Mazda three when it launches probably about a year or so from now. And, um, when uh, looking at it right now, I'm I'm looking at a at a image of it on the the Mazda Global website right now, and I actually like it better now than most of the photos I've seen of it. Because the main issue I had, I love the front and the back of both of these, both the the Vision Coupe um, and the Kai. Um, the issue I had was kind of the the midsection, um, the flanks of the of both of them seemed a little too flat, you know, a little too um, plain. Um, compared, yep. compared to the current generation of Mazdas, which, you know, I, I really like the, the balance of, you know, the lines and, you know, the curves and the, the voluptuousness of, of those cars right now. And these seemed maybe a little bit too toned down in some respects. Um, you know, it just seemed a little bit plain. But looking at the, the image now, you know, and I guess I'll have to wait until I see it in person. I'll probably They'll probably have it at the L.A. show next month. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll see what it looks like there. Um, but it, this image I'm looking at right now looks better than most of the photos that I've seen of it. Um, and and the, the concept has the Skyactiv engine in it, which is going to be in the new three. Yeah. I, I'm very excited for Mazda just to continue their um just being Mazda. They're like yeah, they're I was gonna say their pattern, their winning streak or whatever. I I really like where they've evolved with the Kai for the, the three. Mm-hmm. I hope it retains that, that roof line. The, you know, the C pillar looks a little chunky, but it's it has a much more sort of sporty and premium and, and funky aesthetic where now you catch the current three in certain angles it looks a little awkward so um you know but this this is the best we can do right now with with concept cards is just talk about how they look so yeah <laughs> let's uh uh let's talk about the honda uh, the honda ev sport because uh that's they 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 came out with the um was it the ev go uh not too long ago right that was at the um at the frankfurt Ur- show urban Urban EV. Urban I EV. saw a press yeah. release from EVgo. Right. And that, yeah. So. Yeah. The Urban EV was was a little uh, electric hatchback uh, commuter car that they showed at the Frankfurt show. And they had that in Tokyo again. And they announced that that one's going into production in 2019. But the, the new one that they showed in Tokyo is the sports EV, uh, a little um, two-door coupe um, that's also electric, as uh, as you might have guessed from the EV name. Um, and it's, you know, draws inspiration from the old um, Honda S600 uh, from, of the, the 1960s. And it's just, I think it's such a cool looking little car. I agree. Uh, I'm so sad that it's probably never coming here, but they're going to do it uh, in the Japanese market. You never know. I mean, since it's an EV, they, they might well do it. 
Is it easier to bring an EV to the U.S. market? Um, I mean, certainly, you know, in terms of, you know, certifying the powertrain and everything, it would be easy. Uh, depends on, you know, how they do the, the structure. I mean, generally, you know, most cars now, um, you know, because to some degree, you know, the crash safety standards have been converging. Um, you know, and so most most new vehicles are designed to meet, um, you know, safety standards pretty much everywhere. Uh, so I think, you know, if they if they think that there's enough of a of an appeal for it and, you know, given that, you know, Honda's, um, you know, hasn't really done much in terms of selling EVs here in the U.S., you know, if they think that they can sell maybe five or ten thousand of these, you know, a year uh, here in the U.S., um, you know, they've got they've got to start selling more EVs to meet the uh, the California um, zero emission vehicle mandates. So having a car like this would would probably help yeah look if evs all look like this i think uh, enthusiasts would have no problem with it i certainly wouldn't I, these are fantastic what i'd love is to have this car with the the 1.5 liter turbo in it well or a type r engine <laughs> but that that's not gonna happen um sure it is nah. just not from honda yeah <laughs> that's true yeah you might see mugen put one together that would be cool i mean all is not lost. You know, think back anytime there's a big shift, uh, you know, even with hybrids, you know, we we really thought, you know, that's, that's so lifeless and so dull and uh, it's never going to be an enthusiast thing. And, and now we've got like the NSX, yeah. which is a hybrid. Um, well, got and, and, you know, I mean, with something like this, you know, the electric motors are so small, you know, you could easily do this, you know, as a rear drive coupe. Um, you know, and there'd be plenty of room, you know, put the transmit or put the batteries down the, you know, under the floor and, you know, down the tunnel and, you know, it'd be, it'd be perfect. Yeah. And it's, it's going to, having that mass low like that is going to make it handle really well. And it's like, there's a lot of upside to pure EVs and, and just, we're finally starting to get there, uh, where the cars are expressive and they hopefully are fun we haven't driven any of these things but they they can be fun well if you, I mean, do it right. you know based you know based on you know the the experience i've had with other other ev other modern evs you know it should you know there's no reason why it shouldn't be fun yeah and what's going to make the biggest difference is uh still battery technology and you know, there's been some announcements about that we didn't really include anything in our topics uh for this week but there's been a couple of uh tickles of things that like batteries that recharge really quickly. And, um, I haven't looked into them to see what the special sauce is for that, but unless they've, you know, invented some sort of new way of getting around physics, I think it's probably just a I new method or something. The plan is to get around physics, get around physics. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> disregard like, physics entirely. Yeah. I mean, we can, well, we can disregard it. That's fine. It's going to come back to remind us that it's there. <laughs> so, um, that, that's going to be the difference is, is what, what we can make batteries do. And we're, we're working on that. The, the cars will come once we have the powertrain or the, the power source. Uh, and hopefully by then we'll have stopped doing, uh, ridiculous zero to 60 or drag race shootouts with electric cars. Cause you know, what's pretty well proven is they can accelerate like that really quickly. Yeah. We, we don't we, need to do that anymore. I don't need to see any more insane Tesla beating blah, 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 sports car video. Like, yep, that's that's what happens with an electric powertrain. 
Indeed. Once. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, hey, uh, did we have any questions? Uh, I think we had one follow-up question uh, from a question we had uh, a couple weeks back uh, after the hurricanes. Uh, let me find it here. Uh, let's see. Uh, trying to find anything in Facebook is such a pain. I um, I went on quite a rant today. <laughs> At work about how awful the user interface for Facebook is. Oh, it's and just, it's atrocious. And it's, you know, just, um, just try and find something that you were looking at five minutes ago. It's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, it wound up with me getting told that like, hey, you're pretty negative about stuff. It's like, oh, um, I'm articulate. <laughs> I'm not necessarily negative. I can just explain what I don't like really well. I have a much harder time explaining what I do like, which was then the next question. It's like, what do you actually like? I was like, I don't know. Yeah, um, I cannot find this question. So the gist of the question is basically, uh, oh, you know where it is? It's in like messages or something. It, it's basically like, um, why I'm going to, I'm not going to do it justice. So we, we should just find it. It's about cars that go to auction and like how they uh, wind up there. And, um, oh, okay. So I, I can answer this. Hang on. I'm waiting for Facebook. It's going to take a while. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is compelling podcasting. <laughs> um, all right. Well, shoot, shoot, go ahead okay. with, uh, so the, the thing, the thing with, with auctions, uh, you know, I think, I think as I recall the, the question, it was basically something to the, just to the effect of, you know, what, why do, you know, cars end up, uh, in going to auctions, uh, what, you know, what's going on with that and what, what happens is, you know, car dealers, you know, they take a lot of different cars in, you know, as trade-ins, you know, when people buy new cars and, um, you know, so you've got, uh, one that's that's one source of used cars and then the the other thing that comes in is um uh, the off lease cars that are being returned you know when the lease expires people turning in their cars and getting something else all of those cars you know very often uh you know the dealer that's taking in these cars is not going to have uh, the, the, if they don't think that they're going to be able to sell all of those cars, then what they do is they send them to a, an auction, you know, and based on the, depending on what the mix of the cars that they get returned are based on what's actually selling, they may find that they've got too many of some models and not enough of other models. And so they'll, they'll, they may keep some of them that they get, uh, as, um, trade-ins or lease returns. Other ones end up going, um, back, uh, they go to the auction house and there's a bunch of these auction facilities around the country. And there's, there's several companies. Mannheim is the biggest, uh, but there's a few other companies that do these auctions. And so what happens is they, they truck all these cars to the auction facility and dealers that are selling used cars. And it, it, it may, you know, a lot of them are new car dealers that also sell used cars, but it's also other dealers that only sell used cars go to these auctions and they, um, they buy, they bid on and, and buy the cars that they think they can sell. Um, and, you know, they, they have a pretty good idea of what they think they can sell various cars for based on what the pricing is at the auction. They may buy them or not. And um, 
some of the cars end up going, you know, from there going to be refurbed uh, so they can be sold as uh, certified pre-owned, uh, which gets them, you know, higher resale values, things like that. Um, you know, and some of them just go straight from there, you know, get a light, light touch up and, and then go uh, right onto the used car lot. So that's, that's kind of, you know, how it works out, you know, and some, some cars end up getting shipped to other regions, to auctions at other, other parts of the country based on, you know, based entirely on where they think they can actually sell them, where there's going to be demand for those cars. Yeah. Um, which means you want to be very careful looking look for rust under the dash yeah well uh, i mean you you always want to be careful when you're buying a new car i mean that's that's always an issue with with new cars is uh, you know looking for those things um to make sure that you're you know you're you're not getting a car that may have been sitting on a used car lot when a hurricane uh, went by or rather sitting on a new car lot when a hurricane went by um and you know may have been sitting under water for a week um things like that you know those there and there are you know, signs that you can look for. Uh, and we've still got to get somebody in who's got more expertise in that area to talk about that. But those, some of those cars are going to end up, uh, start showing up on used car lots in the, in the coming months. And those are ones that you've really got to watch out for. Yeah. And it's not even like something like, um, the smell because you can actually get the smell out, uh, with like an ozone generator and stuff. You can, you can clean them up to the point where, uh, you really have to look quite, you know, carefully to find uh, the actual like evidence of uh, issues. But it's it's there if you look. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm also looking for this this question, and I I'm gonna blame Facebook. I it's it's absolutely Facebook's it. fault. Yeah, you know, I mean, why? It's right there. I know. It was, it was there I, yesterday. I can click on the notification about it. I just can't get to it. So I don't even see it. I, I'm I'm looking at notifications and I don't even see it. Yeah, it doesn't um, matter. I mean, I think I think we generally. If, let's put it this way: if we didn't answer the question to uh, the listeners' satisfaction, please write us again. You know, maybe send it. Send us a note on Twitter uh, where right, we can actually or, find stuff. Right or uh, wheelbearingscast@gmail.com. Yep. Um, there are ways to get us uh, besides the facebook's yes <laughs> we're very responsive there are much more much um, ways to get us than facebook yeah so do that uh and if you have new questions uh again uh wheelbearingscast at gmail.com there's there's twitter there's uh you can also just leave comments on the, the site yeah uh yeah just just let us know what you're thinking and we'll try to uh actually apply some some reason and logic and uh corny jokes and, and, and if we can't do that we'll make something up yeah, we'll just shoot from there. If you can't blind them with science, you baffle them with bullshit. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, next week, I think we are probably going to have a special guest on the show um, joining us uh, if we can get everything lined up right. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, I don't even know. I'm excited. I'll, it's, I'll tell you it's, after we turn off the recording. It's Santa Claus. Yes, you guessed it. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Let's leave it as a cliffhanger then. And uh, that's that's it for uh, this episode of Wheel Bearings. We'll see everybody next week. All right. Next time. When you need. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.